rumor, a currently circulating story or report of uncertain or questionable truth. This is Rumors of Grace, where I talk to people rumored to have found beauty and truth in broken and uncommon places. Hello, this is Bob Hutchins, and uh, this is another episode of Rumors of Grace. I've got a very, very special person on the line with me today. I want to introduce you to Justin McRoberts. Justin, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me on, man. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm talking to you from beautiful, well, I'm not there, but you are in beautiful Northern California, correct? That's right. Yes. Born and raised, born in Oakland. I live in a town called Martinez now, which is not that far inland from Oakland. So I mean, folks normally call it the San Francisco Bay Area. I'm in the East Bay. That's awesome. So what's the what's the weather like this time of winter that we're 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 enjoying some nice cold gray days, but you don't get very much of that, do you? Uh, we get some of it. So today's today's like actually weather day. So it's uh, it's what's it like forty? It's like forty four and raining today. Oh wow! So okay. it's, you know we get we get you know something <laughs> something I guess like real weather here. It's just we get to enjoy it enough to say that we have it, and then it goes away. In the land where they don't have air conditions, correct? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, a lot of places around here don't have air conditioning. If if you actually go into the Central Valley in Southern California. Like they'll build five thousand square foot uh, houses without AC because they don't need them. That's so foreign to me in so many ways. Uh, yeah, I, I don't want it. I, I, I'll take uh, even if it's not much of a season. I'll take something of a season. <laughs> well, Justin, uh, you and I connected in, in a kind of a strange way. We have a, we have a, a common friend, and he sent me some books because he works for the publisher. And one of them was your brand new book. It's called Prayer, 40 Days of Practice. And it's uh, by Justin McRoberts. And I'm assuming your friend Scott Erickson is the illustrator, correct? That's correct. Yeah. And I got to tell you, um, this is not just hyping a book, but it's meant so much to me uh, just in my own personal journey and where I am. Hmm. And it's such a unique uh, a unique book because uh, – I encourage everyone to go on Amazon or wherever you buy books and, and at least look at it. Um, why don't I let you explain it? Because it's not a prayer book. It's not a informational book. It's not uh, – ex- <laughs> right. ex- explain explain to me the genesis of this and what it is, and then uh, we'll kind of circle back around and, and talk about your background and history. But but talk about the book first. Yeah, sure. So at the, at the heart of the book is the idea – I mean the way we say it is this, is that – we pray because we're human and not because we're religious. Mm. And uh, that my assumption is that if there's a God in the world, then then that God is up to and alive and active, relatively indiscriminatory. In other words, like like God is doing things, period, uh, in and around the lives of human beings, uh, in and throughout nature and politics, and yes, in religion. Uh, in science and in education, and the what we wanted to do with the book was to give folks a tool by which they could dig into the work of God as it exists already, as opposed to the way a lot of devotional tools tend to work, which is a little bit more informationally. But here's here's a picture of what it looks like for God to do something. Mm. Look for clues of this type of thing in your life. And then, you know, celebrate that if it matches the expectation. What we wanted to do, what I wanted to do with the with the book, uh, was to say, like, I'm a God, I'm actually going to assume that God is up to something in, around, and through your life, and I want to give you the tools by which you can figure that out, see that, celebrate it, and dig into it personally. So I started probably four and a half, five years ago or so, uh, just posting these short prayers. Facebook, Twitter, and watching the way people responded, watching uh, the kinds of folks who were responding. And a lot of the folks who were responding are resonating with the prayers of folks who didn't have a traditional religious background or something we'd recognize as like institutionalized religion. And that was the sort of genesis of the thing. I thought like there's there's something here. Well, duh. <laughs> like of course there's something here. Like this is like this is the thing that evangelical Christianity has been after for 40 years is like 
you know, if God is active and alive, then let's figure out what's going on and meet God there. Uh, we just kind of went for it and said, let's just trust, I don't know, God <laughs> to yeah. be doing things. Explain, and explain of, the, explain the format a little bit, Justin, because I think that's what's so unique about this book. You mean the, 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 the prayers and the images? Yeah. 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 So instead of spending, uh, instead of spending like, you know, two pages describing what it might look like for God to be active and alive around your life, uh, I'm, it's, it's a, you know, prayers will be something as short as like, um, you know, may, uh, actually I could look up some specific prayers here instead of just kind of go off the top of my head, but you know, may, you know, the, the, um, may I have eyes to see this as a good world and need oh, restoration right rather than there a bad go. world and an obstacle to my personal peace and rest. Just short little sentences, maybe, uh, a sentence and a half or something like that. Right. Right. To give kind of a, more, more like a prompt. More, right. Like again, like I, I don't want to dig the hole for you. I want to, I want to give you the shovel. Mm, that's so good. Um, and then you get to dig into your own life. So it's, it's short enough that like, there's something in there. There's a, there's, it's a handle and, and then you get to kind of dig into your own life. Now, not everyone responds to words in the same way. And for a lot of us, if you're a words person like myself, like I get kind of tired of like the lectures, the words, the talking, so uh, when I, I sat down with Scott Erickson, who's the artist, uh, whose illustrations are the other half of the book, uh, and said, hey, man, like I've got – this thing's kind of going on with me online. I'm thinking of putting a book together. What would it look like for you to pair images to it? I'd watched the way Scott uses imagery to do sort of the same thing. That Scott doesn't try to draw people into conclusions but but Scott's work tends to stir things up in people so that they have to ask new questions about what's going on right. in their souls and their lives and their politics, et cetera. And we were sort of up to the same thing. And so we sat down, we sat down together and we talked a little bit about it. And then um, I sent him the, you know, it was at the times like 56, 57 different prayers. And he started pairing them with images he had. And, and so now the way it works is it's a really short prayer, something along the lines of the ones you just read. And then a meditative image, something that, that uh, it's simple enough that you can get your head around, but there's enough complexity that you get, you have to spend some time there to kind of to dig into. Yeah. But both yeah, the of them together end up spending, you know, end up being more, again, more like excavation tools than, you know, sermons or life lessons. Yeah. The, the pairing of these short, like, like you said, it's almost like the pairing of these like introduction words slash, like you said, shovel, not, not the digging, not the hole, but here, here's a shovel and a question that will really pierce something in your brain or in your heart. And here's an image that will make you think as well, because the image is beautiful. It's moving. It, it, it has a meaning that can be interpreted very deeply, um, depending on who you are and, and what lens you're looking at it. The pairing of those two things is really beautiful. But you don't stop there in the book. You Every three or four days, what you do is then you actually have a writing that's maybe mm-hmm. a, a page or two or three that's kind of a, a thought where you kind of flesh it out further, right? Yeah. So um, the the book initially when we released the book, when we did it independently, uh, we we let it go. Well, actually, I back up and say this. So when I started doing this sort of sort of prayer expressions online, it was every year right around Lent. Lent is like season. If you're not familiar with the season of Lent. Uh, <laughs> to say it really cheaply, Lent's the season leading up to Easter. It's 40 days leading up to Easter when it feels a little bit more permissible for folks who don't have religious inclinations to practice some form of spiritual discipline. So mm-hmm. folks are like they'll, you know, they'll divorce themselves from chocolate or they'll, you know, they'll they'll not drink booze or whatever. And they'll do it with a sort of, uh, I would suggest, like spiritual angle. That there's something deeper to be found in life. So for two or three years, I was posting these prayers during Lent. So when we released the book, we wanted to do it kind of in the same season to give folks a tool to dig into this season of Lent. The way Lent tends to work is you'll have six days of – if you choose your fast, let's say, again, from from chocolate or from booze, you fast for 
six days. And then on the seventh day is a day of rest from whatever fast or whatever discipline you're, you know, you've engaged. So the way the book is structured is you have six prayers and the short reflect, you know, and, and then images. Got it. Got it. And then the seventh day is a little bit of a deeper dive. Yeah. It sort of sets you up for the next week. So there's nothing to do, but it's more of a kind of like, Hey, so coming in the next week, like here's a, here's a reflection on the nature of prayer and here's something you might want to think about doing. So during the course of the next week, as an example, one of the, you know, one of the reflections has to do with physicality with your body. What's it look like to make walking or jogging mm. or going to the gym more of a, of a spiritual practice than just a thing you do. So concentrate on your body this week. Yeah. And then the following week, you know, you come to that Sunday when you take a break from your fast or whatever day you, it's usually a Sunday. You take you take a break from your fast. You take a break from the sort of the discipline of prayer, and the reflection is something more along the lines of like, what's it look like to be angry, and to be to to lament, to like engage in the sort of darker, more toothy emotions. Hey, how about this next week? You actually pay attention to that stuff. Like, what's got you set off in the world that that like is stirring in you anger, frustration, sadness? Well, make that don't just experience that, but make that real and like engage in those emotions over the course of this week. So the book is structured that way with like every seven days, a little bit longer reflection and then a kind of propulsion into the week. Yeah. Let me give some people an example of, of what that seventh day I was reading today. Um, the section on sacred antacids and uh, I loved it because you tell the story of this young man who goes to his priest and he, he's got something's bothering him and he says, Father, I have, you know, every night I can't sleep. I've got this burning in my soul. Something's not right. It keeps me awake. And he's just really troubled by this. And he wants this wisdom and blessing and prayer and guidance from, from his spiritual teacher here. And so the priest turns around and starts to put his hand down into a briefcase. The man thinks, okay, he's going to give me a blessing or some kind of special book or something. So so he prepares himself and he opens his hands and he closes his eyes and – and the priest turns to him, and, and I'm summarizing this because I'm not reading it, but the example you give is the priest says, uh, son, you've got heartburn, and he gives him an, an, an antacid. <laughs> and the point you make in this, and, it, and you write it, you say, sometimes I just need an antacid. Sometimes I need to eat better. Sometimes I need to sleep more. Sometimes I need to see a professional therapist. And sometimes I need to change the shoes I'm running in. And I think all these things are spiritual matters. That's yeah. the that that stuff is just so good and it's so such a bomb for my soul and I know for others to kind of get outside of that kind of religious experience and say everything belongs everything is spiritual and mm-hmm. here's some ways to call you back to that remembrance. I love that. Yeah. Well, yeah, thanks. And part again, part of what we're getting after here is there is this there's a propensity to think of like here's the here's the spiritual world over here and here's the physical world over here and then there's the emotional world over there and then there's the financial world over there and there's the political world over here and the, the relational world over here. And I think what the the main thing that does is is actually steals spirituality from human behavior. In other words, like I think to think spiritually is not to consider this like other section of your life, this other like cornered part of your life where like, here's what's physical, here's what's emotional, here's what's political, here's what's financial. And then over here, here's what's spiritual. Right. I think to think spiritually is to consider my whole life as a whole life and that there are strands, divine strands that hold together all the aspects of my life. I think that's thinking spiritually. And so if I'm ignoring what's going on in my body, I'm not thinking spiritually. If I'm ignoring what's going on with my paycheck and how I spend it, I'm not thinking spiritually. Mm. If I'm ignoring what's going on relationally, I'm not thinking spiritually. That's it's not right. like I can get my spiritual life right over here and this is going to send these sort of cascading effects off into the, the rest of my life that aren't spiritual but are affected by my spiritual life. I think that's garbage. I think that's, that's actually Gnosticism and it's not Christianity that if Christ is a person – a physical person who then died and is raised as a physical person, a political person, a relational person, an emotional person, then to think spiritually about myself is to think about myself as a whole person, physical, emotional, mm, that's so political, good. otherwise. That's so good. And, and to emphasize that, I want to read one more piece and then we'll get off the book. But 
It's in the same section of spirit of sacred antacids. Um, a little bit l- later in that little passage on the seventh day here, you write, and you're talking about Jesus, and it says, and it seems somewhere along the way, he lost his dad, had siblings, had friends, lost friends, lived in a neighborhood, had neighbors, held a job, worked for money, paid for food, and paid taxes, all of which says to me that these things are not insignificant in their normality, but that God finds worth in spending most of a human lifetime attending to simple things like work and neighbors and friendship and family, and all of it matters. That is so rich because you're right. You know, there's 30 years of the life of Christ we don't really know about, and all we know is what we can infer from the (laughs) scriptures. And what's funny, I think it's really revealing to pay attention to like what people actually infer, like, right? Like I, I – and you and I are roughly the same age and you may remember. There was this whole season. I was in I was in college or so at the time and all these books and studies and these – that came up – came out around like what happened during the – you know, folks who like the, the lost years of Jesus. Right. And there were all these things about like, well, he must have traveled then to the east and sat with the Buddhists. Right. And <laughs> he must have gone – like he must have gone and done something spiritual. He must have gone something like hyper-religious because we couldn't possibly imagine that he just lived a normal life. Exactly. Which is like so revealing of what we think about ourselves. Mm. It's so revealing of what we think about like having a family, having a neighborhood, having a job. Like we're not satisfied with those things, which should be received as gifts, which is what the incarnation is supposed to be teaching us. Is like, hey, where you're born, that can be a good place. Where you know the the, the people around you, these are all good things. We want to always like spiritualize, which is to say like, we want to like otherize. We want to like, it's got to be somewhere else. Meaning has to be somewhere else. Purpose has to be somewhere else because it can't possibly be found in the ground beneath my feet. Again, I think that's really bad spirituality. Yes. Yeah. That's so good, Justin. So obviously you don't just wake up one day and have this kind of understanding and decide to write a book. Who is Justin McRoberts? Like, what's your background, Justin? I know you're you're kind of a Renaissance guy. You you got your hand in music and songwriting and writing books and and lots of other things. Tell me a little bit about that journey and and um, sh- shall we start from the beginning? Oh sure. So um, specifically with regards to like the, the vocational element of things, um, I graduated from uh, St. Mary's College in, um, 1996, graduated high school in 92. Uh, I did theater for most of my, uh, you know, my kind of high school and early collegiate days. And, um, right after uh, kind of during and right after college, I was on staff at the young life. Hmm. And if you're not familiar with young life, it's a, it's a, it, you know, folks will call it an outreach. It's like a Christian mentorship program for kids that don't go to church. Um, and fell in love with the process of walking someone, uh, through like the first few steps of faith. Like I really loved that part of things to help kind of meet someone where they were like in the environment, the circumstances, the culture they lived in, and then walk through the the first steps of like, what's it look like then to follow Jesus in the world you already live in, like in in the way you're already living instead instead of like pulling you out, you've got to come out here now. Um, while I was walking through that stuff, while I was learning to be a youth minister, I started writing songs because it was a way for me to process what was going on. Cause I went from being just like, I was a college kid who was looking for some kind of career to being a person who was <laughs> like, who's banking his whole life and career and vocation on the presence and reality of this invisible person named Jesus who hold all, who holds all things together. That's a kind of, that's a lot to process. So I started writing songs. Um, and though the, the songwriting part of my life became more central, I started traveling and playing music in different venues and I talk a lot between songs and that became storytelling and teaching and the storytelling and teaching part became retreat leading and advocacy. And then folks started saying you should write these stories down, which became book writing. And so 2012, I released a first book, 2014, a second book, and then, uh, started on the process of the writing, the the prayer book. That's the, the sort of the vocational journey, but it's all predicated on this 
like this seed, this desire in me to meet people as best I can right where they are and help them see where they are in, in a kind of more divinely orchestrated and held together context and say, Hey, let's just take a couple steps. You don't have to leave the place you're living in your life. You don't have to become an entirely different human being in order to be met by God. I think God's doing something right here, right now. Let's take a look around, figure out what's going on. And if there are steps to take, then I'll help you take them. Uh, but let's first recognize that like God's living right where you are, exactly where you are and as you are. That's the thing that kind of that holds together the whole vocational strand of my life. Hmm, that's so good. So what was your young what was your childhood like? Did you grow up uh, in a family that that prioritized faith in that way or was was that something that you came about when, like you said when you were high school college? Um there was a there was a strain. So my mother grew up Catholic, but when she married my dad, uh my dad was sort of in and not in a not in like a really vehement way. He, he wasn't like sort of this like Richard Dawkins faith is for the weak minded kind of person. But he was definitely like, I'm too busy for it. Like, that's that's not for now. Like, we have too much to do to get into religion. That was definitely more of my dad's thing. Got it. <clears throat> he's probably an Enneagram one um, where it's like perfectionist. <laughs> yeah. Perfectionist trying to hold all things together, which is, you know, uh, so my mom put her faith in the practice of her faith on, on the back burner. Um, and then I was, I was met by a young life leader when I was in junior high school, which is when my, you know, religious practice really started. And do you have siblings or I don't. So I grew up as an only child. I'm still an only child. <laughs> what was that like? Was that a good experience for you? I, I think so. I mean, <laughs> I don't have anything to compare it to. I mean, I wished, I wished at times that I had siblings. Now that I know people who have siblings, I'm glad I didn't have siblings. But uh, yeah, like I mean, there there were seasons in my life I like I, I thought and wished I'd had a brother. Really specifically, wished I'd had an older brother or a younger brother, just a brother. So, so but, do you still do music? I do some. Okay. Um, it's this. So the seasons of my life have changed, but also the cultural season has shifted. So. I don't hear when I'm inspired now, when I'm moved to create, I don't go to music as naturally. Some of that I think is a kind of an internal natural propensity. Like what do you want to do with what you're given? And my soul is moving more towards the keyboard and storytelling and writing. Um, the other part of it is, you know, to be a hundred percent honest, it like I'm a 45 year old white male. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm sorry, I'm laughing. I'm just going. No, you're with that, me. That's like, funny I, that like, you that you even say that. And so, so you're implying that, hey, I'm a 45 year old white male. Season. What am I going like, to do? Be a rock star or something? Yeah. Like, what am I? What 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 exactly am I going to bring to the table musically right now? That's going to be of like sincere cultural benefit. Like, if I make music, if I do music, it's 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 personal. I'm interested in it. I care about it. I'll you know, I song lead. I do a little bit of songwriting, but in terms of like what I'm adding to the cultural conversation, I don't know that I've got anything to bring to the table for right now <laughs> that like is a whole that ha, it has a whole lot of benefit. So one, I, I, I'm not feeling music the same way I used to, and two, it's really not my cultural moment as a musician. I totally get it from somebody who has a little bit of a music background. I totally understand that. Um, Talk to me a little bit about um, your your life experience. I mean, you're a 45 year old white male. I'm a 45 um, year old straight white Christian male. Okay, so yes. so you you started this journey in, in junior high. You know, your mom was Catholic, your dad was kind of agnostic, atheist, and now you're you're writing these books. And what? Tell me, there there's you know, like Jesus, there's this 30 year kind of gap. Talk to me about that. You mean the space between like graduation and now? Yeah, yeah. What 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 went on? I mean, was it just a natural, smooth, uh, easy transition from you know uh, young life leader to writing this book on on prayer and contemplation? Hmm. No. So, well, yes and no. I mean, I've always had a pretty significant safety net, so I've been able to take 
like the light, low risks that I've been able to take mm-hmm. without a whole lot of fear that I'm going to hit the floor. Got it. Um, specifically leading to the prayer book, I guess this would be the thing. So uh, graduating college in 96 and starting a music career somewhere not too long after uh, after that, um, it would be like this. So summer uh, – summer, fall, 98, uh, between 98 and 99, I started this music career thing. At the same time, I was helping plant a church hmm. with some friends in the San Francisco Bay Area, uh, which was this – was and is this really wonderfully anchoring thing that who I am when I'm not in the Bay Area – um, like I'm, it's, it's an expression of who I am here that I get to live, that, that what I get to offer if I'm in Tennessee uh, is an outpouring and outgrowth of who I am and who I'm becoming in my local context. I mm. feel like that's really important. I, I feel like the gospel has roots. Mm. Uh, and I think, you know, Jesus was born in a specific place in a specific time among a specific people. And that doesn't mean that everyone has to wear a tunic and grow their hair out and wear sandals. But I think that we do have to pay attention to like, where do you live? Among whom do you live? And at what time do you live? Hmm, your, your, con- your context. So it's out of my actual context, the growth that like the goodness of my life, you know, elsewhere comes. Uh, and, and having a church and a church body and a church family that I was responsible to and for was and am responsible to and for like becomes that for me. Like what is my actual context? Uh, and as I, was, as I paid attention to the lives of the folks around me uh, institutionally, culturally, um, like I watched the, you know, in and out of different seasons, like the desire, the need to connect with the divine grow, uh, how should I say this, grow really complicated in the face of religion that, so were you, uh, at, were you, were you, did you start in more, in a more like conservative evangelical framework or were you more, I mean, ta- ta- kind of define where you started as opposed to where you are now? N- it really wasn't any of that. So like it was just, there were people who needed a place. Okay. There were, a lot of our folks had left other church settings or were like just entering into the journey, uh, and into the process. And so they're like, I, you know, we were tied to the, to the evangelical covenant church, the ECC out of Chicago. Um, but it, like our motivation wasn't to create a space that was tied to the tradition. It was more like what, what's needed? Like what are the people around us who are trying to follow Jesus need? Mm. How do we create something for them? If that makes some sense. Like I think oftentimes church planting does come from like we need another one of these. So here's the thing. How do we make one of these happen over here instead of what's happening among the people in this place? And how do we create a thing that works well and looks like the people that we're inviting into it? And that's one of the uh, uh, <laughs> mob. We didn't do everything well. We did a lot of things poorly. But one of the things we did do well was to say, what is it that is needed for these particular people in this particular place in this particular time to respond to and live into what God is actually doing. So was that a, was that a church plant when you were young, right out of college? Yeah. Okay. And then what happened and how long did that go? Still active and alive. It's really, really different now because that just happens over the course of 20 years. Um, but yet still active and alive, still, uh, you know, there are still people who share people who were there then who, you know, we share life with now I'm still there. I, I'm still part of that same church family. So you stayed in the same place. That's, that's really cool. And I guess kind of rare. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, I think it's rare. I think it's unfortunately rare. Uh, but it's felt right to me. Um, I haven't felt the call elsewhere. Like I've been, te- I've certainly been tempted to go elsewhere. Uh, I've been like, Pulled elsewhere, but I, I haven't felt called. And I think if, for me, if I'm going to go somewhere other than the the, <laughs> the family to which I was called to help start, like I, I'd need to have a real sense of here's where you're headed to. 
So yeah, the, you know, like I'm still there cause I haven't felt I'm supposed to be somewhere else. Got it. And what kind of framework or like environment is that, that community there? Is it, is it more of an Anglican? Is it more of a high church liturgical? Is it more, what, what's the, what's the kind of setting there on a daily, on a weekly basis? Um, so, you know, we, it's liturgical, uh, but it, it, how would you describe it? I actually haven't had to do this in a while. It, it, we're kind of like, more like a casual liturgical. So we're, we're, we're relatively, um, we don't change things up a whole lot. We feel like the, the routine and the shape of our Sunday gathering matters. Uh, you, you know, you create containers for which, into which people can bring their, you know, their lives. Um, but it's pretty casual. It's a, it's a come as you are kind of a space, which is you know it's sort of the intention of a lot of non-denominational or sort of low church. Uh, it's not a high church space. Uh, low church you know, you know, desires are to kind of be come as you are. Um, it's but our angle has more to do with spiritual formation. So uh, we at times overly so de-emphasize our Sunday gathering. Like what's it look like to get together on Sunday? We don't, we don't try to make that thing work in a way that's really attractional. It's more like, here's a place you can be. Uh, and from, from and in this place, we're really going to point back outwards into the life you're living, the neighborhood you're in, the family you're in, and how do we help create patterns and practices that, that help you recognize and live into the activity of God, where you're living, how you're living, right now. You know, you made a, you made a a connection earlier to saying that context matters where your, your family, your community, your environment, your space, where you are geographically and culturally. Uh, Talk to me a little bit about what, as somebody who grew up and has lived and has been in the same kind of community for 20 plus years, a community of faith in, uh, you know, the San Francisco or, 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 or that area in the, on the West coast, how might your community feel and look and be unique and different from say somebody that's in the Southeast in the Bible belt, or maybe somebody that's in the Northeast, say in uh, New York or new England, talk to me a little bit about those mm-hmm. differences. And because, you know, I'm here in, in Nashville and, you know, we have, you know, kind of the best of both worlds. We have a strong Bible Belt influence, yep. evangelical history, but then also a lot of creatives here, a lot of free thinkers. Um, but then you go just a little bit south, you have a totally different kind of culture and subculture, and then you go up to the Northeast and, and the Midwest. Talk to me how you've observed as someone thinking about these things, as someone thinking about the journey of faith and grace and brokenness and truth. You know, what, what, what is your perspective on that? Because I know you seem like a, a person that's traveled quite a bit. Yeah. Um, so talk to me a little bit about that and, and just in that context and, and why that's important to you and what you observe as you travel and as you go back home uh, to your environment, what that means to you. Uh, the things that, have, that really stand out for me, being a, a person of faith, specifically a leader, uh, of a of a faith community in the San Francisco Bay Area, uh, maybe they're kind of both on the same heading, which is like I, I, you really have to mean it, hmm. um, and not just it, it, here's what here's what I mean by that because um, that could go a couple different directions. I have to mean it. I have to like if I if I'm going to say I believe in God, uh, I have to be clear on what that means. Like okay, that's neat. Uh, what, but I'm going to be challenged on that. Like what, like when you say God, do you mean the male persona, divine personage, bearded dad figure in the sky? I'm going to get challenged on that. Like, what do you actually mean? And then if, if I go further than that, which I do and say, I believe in Jesus and therefore I'm a Christian, then I'm going to be challenged on what exactly I mean by that politically what I mean by that socially, what I mean by that, uh, you know, uh, you know, philosophically, et cetera, like w- what I mean by that relationally. So if, if you're going to call yourself a Christian in the Bay area, you're going to get the question. So what do you think then about gay people, gay men, lesbian women? What do you think about, what do you think about transgender folks? Like I'm going to get those questions. Sure. Uh, and I've always had to get those questions. Like you can't plant a church here in the Bay area without folks asking you if you're gay or affirming. 
as a church, as a leader. And it's not just and, – and I'll step back and say this. I, I take us to that <laughs> to that conversation now because that, like the, that's been the litmus test since the late 90s, right? It's right. like what do you – and like what do you mean by what you believe? It's not about whether or not people are gay and whether we can be OK with people who are gay. Like uh, uh, among Christians, it's a matter of like what do you actually believe about what you believe? Like that's been the litmus test. Do you – when you call yourself loving and welcoming – how far are you willing to go with that? So it's not you – know, so it's for you, it's not a a cultural um, given that it might be in other parts of the country, meaning uh, when you say you're a Christian or you talk about God, everybody is in the exact same uh, context and everybody understands exactly what you mean. Now, you might have right. some – denominational differences about water baptism or yeah but that's not it but that's that's a, what i mean is like and gosh i i hope i don't step on any toes here i don't know that i'm super concerned about it but i i think i might so you know when 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 folks get frustrated or, or tangled up about like you know you know dipping a baby versus not dipping a baby or dipping a you know an adult like sure the differences that that cause denominational divides those are one the, those are one thing and and there's there's some serious stuff in there. I'm not saying it's not serious. You know what? Whether you know it's it's intention versus sipping from the cup, like all right. those things. Like I, I get that. But there's some stuff in there. <laughs> but on the West Coast, like, again, like what what do you mean by what you believe? Like if you're talking, if you're going to pull a Bible out, someone's going to ask you if you believe every word of it, and and you have to be able to actually account for that. Because in other words, you have to be able to say like, no, actually, I don't. I don't know what to do with this. I don't know what to do with Old Testament verses in which like the voice of God somehow sanctions in some way, shape or form, like the murder of children. Right. I, I, I have to be able to say either I can defend that or I don't know what the hell to do with that. Right. But what I can't do is be like, well, you know, here's this theological, this theological you know, angle on this. And I might like I can't dodge that because that's for for folks in, again here in the Bay Area and increasingly in the United States. Like that's a pretty simple thing. Right. Like if your God is okay with the murder of children, then I want nothing to do with your religion. Right. So growing up in the Bay Area and being like a, a, a leader uh, in a, in a religious context, the the I, I would call it a gift. <laughs> the gift of being here is like I have to mean the things I say, and and specific and and maybe I, I you know and specifically if I have to say I don't know, I don't really know what to do with that. So I don't know has had to be a really significant part of my faith process, journey, and expression. I don't really know. That's good. That's good. And and I think not only is that healthy, but it's honest and it's authentic. And I think what I hear you saying, because I grew up in a context too. I grew up in in, in Miami, um, where people sometimes don't understand that you're not the majority in 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 those settings. Uh, and I think you understand what I'm saying. You're kind of like. If you're going to call yourself a person of faith and specifically a Christian, a follower of Jesus, then things are, are things kind of get boiled down to the really hard issues of black and white. Like, oh, you, you, you claim to be a follower of Jesus, then you must mean and believe this, this and this. And you're like, well, uh, yes, but no, but I don't know. And, you know, it's not a hey, it's just something culturally we everybody does in the city on a Sunday morning. And yeah, right. everybody's happy and everybody's good if, if you follow the Christian faith. And if you don't, then you're an outsider. Um, and I think so, sometimes people forget that de- depending on what part of their country, the country they're from. And I think for you, what I hear you saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, is your faith has to be something that's not only real to you, but also... It has to be authentic and transparent. It can't be anything less than that because people will see right through it. They'll call you out on it, and you've got to be honest uh, with people if you're going to love them, if you're going to try to invite them in, if you're going to try to include them. Um, mm-hmm. The only thing that really matters is being human and being authentic. Is that what I hear you saying? That's a lot of it, yeah. Yeah. Like, and that's what, it, like, you have to answer for it. You can't, the, the, so Jonathan Merritt wrote a book really recently, uh, released a book really recently called Learning to Speak God from Scratch. And it comes from that same experience for him where he left, he left the South and moved to, moved to New York and moved to Brooklyn. I mm-hmm. think really specifically moved to Brooklyn. Um, 
And all of a sudden, the language that he used that helped kind of bridge the gap between misunderstandings or help kind of quell conversations like no longer worked. The stuff he was trying, the way he would try to describe himself or the way he would describe what he did, all the religious language didn't just didn't land with people. And part of that was like you, you get asked what you mean, like, what do, what do you mean by grace? What does grace actually mean? And if you're going to call someone broken, what do you actually mean by broken? Hmm. Well, in the, again, in the San Francisco area, you can either, if you want to be, if you, you know, if you want to be recognized and be part of the cultural conversation here as a leader of faith, as a community of faith, like you don't get to just say grace and not define it more in a more nuanced sense. You don't get to talk about people being broken without actually defining what you mean by that. That's you don't good. get to just use the word sin as if it's just like everyone gets that. No, what do you mean by that? And can you apply that to yourself? Or do we, which is the thing that ends up happening everywhere in the country and here in the Bay Area too, do you end up in a silo? Where you just you, where you really want to be, I want to just use the word sin. I want to use the word brokenness. I want to use the word grace. I want to talk about the Bible, but I don't want to answer questions that allow that actually cause me to kind of break down what I actually mean when I say that. I want to just sort of settle into the sort of numb, like the authority of the Bible. The Bible says conversation and yeah. settle into that without without having to say like if the Bible says to love your enemies. What's that actually look like? And the, does that allow you to align yourself with a political party that has a particular brand of foreign policy? Like, right. can you say both things? You have to answer that question if you're going to really, really do church in the Bay Area. That's good. That's good. Um, fortunately or unfortunately, I think it's unfortunately, so many of us don't have to wrestle with those as much as you do. And I think for you, um, Probably it makes you a, a deeper, more more contemplative person of faith because you have to f- be faced with those on a regular basis. Yeah. And for many of us, we find ourselves in situations where um, there is an assumption and an assent, a mental assent to to what everybody means. But I believe every human being underneath the skin still wrestles with those things, whether you have the guts to talk about it or not. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's there. And, 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 you know, part of what ends up happening culturally is things happen on the coast and then they tend to move inward towards the center of the country. And so it doesn't just stay, you know, again, the a conversation I had with Jonathan on, on my podcast, like part of what he gets into is like, New York is coming. If you live in Kansas, the middle of Kansas, New York is coming for you. Mm. Like what's happening, the conversations that are happening in Brooklyn or in Manhattan and San Francisco, Los Angeles, but you could live right smack dab in the middle of the country. You could be in, you know, Peoria, Illinois, in the middle of, the, of a cornfield. This conversation's on its way to you. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, it's already happening and it's already there. Um, and as much as some people would like to ignore it or put a stake in the ground and say, "Well, I'm going to hold on to my beliefs," um, it just you, you can't do that for much longer. And no. And in that context, not to go too too political, but I know I'm, I'm sure you have some opinions and thoughts on that, and we won't we won't dive into that too deep. But um, I, I have I have observed, and I'm starting to believe, and I've said this for a little while that there's a real winds of change uh, that are taking place. I believe that there always is a for, forward momentum um, in humanity. I, hmm. I think when Jesus said that. Uh, you know, behold, I'm renewing all things. I believe that that was that he meant that. And I believe that that is an eternal truth that from the creation of the world, um, creation and humanity is always pushing forward uh, and always progressing in some sort of way. Yeah. And and we're, we find ourselves now, especially in our country and in, and in the world to some degree, in this kind of uh, birth pang of of struggle and and right versus wrong and dual dual thinking and all these things that that seems to be a real negative thing and they are in so many ways and yet i think just on the other side um, this is what has to happen in order to to create a catalyst for change and moving forward and there's so many positive things that have changed in the past 10 15 20 years what is your what is your kind of view on that as you someone coming from your point of view and as you kind of observe the world and as you write and as you talk to people all over the country and the world coming from a faith perspective 
what is what is your kind of opinion and observation of what's taking place in the world today? Honestly, it seems to me like it's the same thing that's always taken place, right? I mean, this is like uh, there's a way in which you know God is making new things, mm-hmm. doing a new thing. Uh, I, but I don't think that what, what we mean by that or should mean by that is that like this is a, is a thing that's entirely and completely unprecedented. Right. The renewal of all things, right? The reconciling of all things, right? I mean, that's ultimately what's still at hand. Sure. Um, what feels really, really, really new about those things is that we, like, um, I get really attached to the way I'm specifically living. Mm-hmm. And so when I have to deconstruct what I feel like is a really good new thing, a new way, a new pattern of my life in order to align with the, you know, the work of God in the world, th- that's the thing that feels like, oh my gosh, this is completely new and unprecedented. I have to welcome this particular stranger. It's always been about welcoming the stranger. It's always been about welcoming the stranger. But now the stranger is a Honduran family that traveled thousands of miles to the southern U.S. border. This is not a new conversation. This is the same conversation we've had for thousands of years that God has been you know, you know, uh, stirring in us. What seems new to us is that we have new borders and, and new sets of, of biases and new sets of political understandings that have to be – Undone. I think it's always been the same thing. God is reconciling all things to Himself. Uh, those things and the obstacles that need to be overcome; those are the things that make it seem like it's a brand new thing. That's really, really good, and it's such a good reminder because um, you're absolutely right. Uh, the same things that Jesus was talking about, that Moses was talking about. At the end of the day, humans always are going to deal with this, and yeah. um, you know our humanness and our brokenness and our tendency is toward tribalism. Yeah, and yet Jesus and God and Spirit is always calling us to uh, inclusion and unity and love, ultimately love. Um, and we want to pull back into tribalism, and there's just that there's that. Uh, I guess that dichotomy that's always going and when we all feel it and we're all guilty of it, what are some things and practices for you um, when you have a, you feel like going there um, you have a tendency to say, you know, I'm on the right team uh, because, right. you know, we can be fundamentalist on both extremes. You know, yeah. we, we can look at the right and say how ignorant they are and what they need to be more loving. And yet, uh, you can be on the left and say, you know, they're all wrong and I'm I'm right. So, wh- what are some what are some ways and advice and things that you've learned for your own life to to kind of guard in that? Uh, I'll come all the way back to where we were at the beginning of the conversation and talk about the the practice of prayer mm. and that um, it's not what I have come to. Uh, has is that it's not so much the things I'm praying, but it's the posture of my own prayer. Is is the assumption I'm making when I go to prayer that um, I'm okay, I'm fine, uh, I'm and I need to protect what I've got, or I need to like for you know make a way forward from where I am, or is the or is the assumption I make when I go to prayer that God is active and alive in and around my world, and I want to participate in the activity of the divine in through and around me. Those are two different postures. So, you know, talking to a friend who I'll, I'll work backwards to this and forward, I promise, who's who around this, this, the, uh, the 2016 election, uh, they, they did this, which it's a, it's a worthy practice. They did this practice for a couple of weeks where they would have different candidates, the pictures of different candidates on the, up on the screen and, and congregates were asked to pray for the candidate that they didn't agree with. Now it's a great practice. Hmm. And it, that's great. The thing is, like somewhere in the midst of that, if I am, especially coming down to like the general election, if I'm if I'm a staunch right wing right wing Republican and I see a picture of Hillary Clinton, my prayer is most likely to be about her, like maybe about her losing, about her changing her mind, about like I, I got, I'm, I'm praying I'm praying in this posture of power, like I want God to do something and I have some plans about how this actually should go. 
And if I'm a left-leaning Republican, if I'm a left-leaning Democrat, I'm going to look at the picture of Donald Trump and I'm going to think the same thing. And my prayer life is going to be more angled. Again, it's going to be a, like I have a tool of power. I want to ask God to do some things that I really want him to have done, that I really want him to, right. to, to do. Instead of putting myself – and this is, this is a discipline for me. It's putting myself in a position to say something more like, may I have the vision and courage to join God in the places he's already working mm. rather than feel responsible for bringing him with me. To put myself in a position, a practice of prayer in which I'm actually more receptive, open to kind of listening. What I'm saying less. I'm praying forward less. I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm putting less out into the world and into God's ear. I'm putting and, – and instead I'm, I'm – like a few prompts and then paying attention and listening. I'm listening to my own soul. I'm listening to my own life. I'm listening to not just the scriptures, but I'm listening to the voice of God in in and you know in my own heart, my own like actually positioning myself in prayer to be actively listening and not passively listening where I'm just like I'm gonna sit in silence and just wait for whatever, but to be actively saying, "Speak, Lord, your servant is listening," and then actually have the time, make the time and the space. To, to listen and pay attention like that discipline uh, of, in, of instead of projecting through prayer, my political, social, financial, religious agenda onto the world and hoping it works out in Jesus name, but actually saying, what are you really doing? I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen and then I'm going to respond only if, and when I actually hear you say something or feel you move that discipline. That's been, that's been a suit. That's in a, a struggle for me. It's like, I'm no pro, but that's been legitimately life-changing. That is awesome, man. That is so good, man. This has been so uh, affirming and life-giving. Thank you. And, and so encouraging. Um, tell me, tell people that are listening, where can they find you, learn about you? I know you have your own podcast. Just, just lay it all out there. Talk, talk about your podcast, your books, all that good stuff. Um, I'm in between season three and season four of the at sea podcast. We're going to launch season four in a few weeks. Um, you can just, it's at the at symbol and then S E A at C with Justin McRoberts. Or if you use iTunes or Stitcher or YouTube to do any of that stuff, you just search my name, Justin McRoberts. Uh, I spend a fair amount of time on Facebook. It's just my name, Justin McRoberts, uh, Instagram similarly. Uh, but if you go to justinmcroberts.com, you can find portals to, to all, of those things. Yeah. And your book is prayer 40 days of practice. Um, fantastic. I, I highly recommend it. Thank you. And you can get that. I, I'm assuming on Amazon or, or wherever you want to buy your books. Anywhere you normally buy books. The, that's why we did a deal with the publishers because they can get it everywhere. And by the so. way, congratulations. I'm sure you know this, but it's like the number one in a couple of categories in on Amazon. So I think it's doing really well. I have, I have heard that from folks. I appreciate that, man. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Justin, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day. And um, I really appreciate I, what I love is I, I love your heart. I love your, your, your faith and your trust in, in the way that you love Jesus so well and the way that you love people well. So thank you for sharing that in, in your books and in your podcast. Um, I wish the best for you and blessings on you. And um, I hope that, that we can meet face to face one day. Absolutely. Look forward to it, man. Let's do All that. Right. Talk to you later, Justin. I do.